This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. This is Agents of Shield Cast, your source for the best analysis of the ABC television series Agents of Shield. With your host, Agent Andrew Johnson. If they can bring back Clark Gregg, maybe they can bring back Ed Norton. That'd be weird. Agent Bibbs Bibiani. I got all my ideas from Mr. Belvedere. Come on. Agent Gwen Reyes. Anybody that's not a huge Joss Whedon fan just really needs to pack up their whole life and move to another continent. And Agent Rod Morrow. I feel like someone just ran into your room and gave you a wedgie and then ran back out. They are the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team, a.k.a. The Shieldcast. Agents Assemble. This is episode number five of the Agents of Shieldcast. This is Film Geek Radio's weekly podcast devoted exclusively to discussion of the ABC television series Marvel's Agents of Shield. I'm Agent Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my fellow members of the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division Critical Analysis Strike Team, aka the Shieldcast. First up, he is the film channel editor at CraveOnline.com and a co-host of the B Movies podcast. Agent William Bibbs Bibiani. Hi, I'm saying something witty. You always are, Bibbs. You always are. Uh, next up, he is an all around comics enthusiast and the founder of the Black Guy Who Tips Podcast Network, Agent Rod Morrow. From now on, call me Scorch. Scorch? That's plagiarism, man. You can't <laughs> steal someone's name. Also, you can do better. Yeah, you can do a lot better. Scorch. <laughs> Oh, man. And finally, I am very pleased to introduce a special guest. He is a writer for Movie Mezzanine and a host of the Long and Late Movie Podcast. Russell Hainline, welcome to the show. Party hat! I I see you have your hat. You are ready to go. You are really excited about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. For those just (laughs) listening to this and only getting the audio, I'm wearing a funny hat. (laughs) That's what we bring Russell here for, the prop comedy. Yeah. Lots of lots of visual podcast humor. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is wearing a hat except me, and I feel really left out and kind of insecure about it. Oh man, I'm gonna try and make do. Unfortunately, Agent Gwyn Reyes could not be here today. Uh she she had some other stuff that she had to take care of. Which is too bad because I bet she has the nicest hat of all. Probably, probably, but as a result, guys, it's time for some man talk. Yeah. All right, nothing but the guys today. Now let me tell you all about my penis. Well, <laughs> my penis and I first met when I was a very young lad. Is that how men talk? I don't know. I'm not usually alone in the room with you guys. <laughs> hey, guys, how about that girl in the flower dress? Huh? Woo. Oh, she was, you know what? She was a very good actress. She was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We'll talk about that. That's what men talk about. As always, you can email the agents of Shieldcast at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com, and you can access all of our episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you like the show, please leave us a review. That would really help us out a lot. And if you leave us a good review, we will make you an honorary member of the Shieldcast. If they leave a bad review, are they an honorary member of Hydra? Possibly. Possibly, but we, <laughs> we would just we 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 wouldn't we wouldn't want to mention that on the show though because no, I we'll make them our 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 enemies is what I'm just suggesting. Okay, yeah, go go review the Hydra cast if that's. What you're <laughs> do. Uh, we also have a new voicemail line at three three six seven nine three two five zero nine, so you can call and leave us some feedback. Again, that's three three six seven nine three two five zero nine. This show is being recorded live at spreecast.com to receive updates on when we'll be recording live. You can search for Agents of Shieldcast with all of those periods in there and sign up to be alerted for whenever we do a live recording. We typically record 
at 3 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Wednesdays, uh, the day after Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. airs. Uh, you can also follow Film Geek Radio on Twitter or any of us on Twitter for information on when we will be recording live, and we'll give out those handles at the end of the show. Guys, I'm very pleased to announce that we have another honorary member of the S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Uh, we were left another positive review by John Pavlik. Uh, now, unfortunately, this was only a four-star review, and it was not a five-star review. John! But that's okay. <laughs> it was still a worthwhile application. All right. And uh, John writes, quote, The hosts are lively, funny, articulate, and well-informed on the Marvel Comics universe that inspires the TV show. The podcast is smart and gives the listener a lot to think about after watching a given episode of the show. Great fun and recommended. So thank you for that review. All I know about Agent Pavlik is that he is S.H.I.E.L.D.'s finest ophthalmologist. Uh, There are rumors he might even be the guy Nick Fury visits for his monthly checkups. So if you've got an eye problem, he's the guy you want to turn to. Agent John Pavlik, we have looked over your application, and we are glad that you're listening and you're interested in taking part in a critical conversation about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we are very pleased to bring you on as the S.H.I.E.L.D. cast senior ocular injector and nerve slicer. So welcome to the team. John, where were you last week when Fitzsimmons needed you? I know! They really needed him around. They, 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 they just, they were really grossed out by everything. They needed a professional, a professional ocular injector and nerve slicer to help take care of that. But uh, yeah, thank you for that review, John. Today we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 5 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The episode is titled Girl in the Flowered Dress. It was written by Brent Fletcher and directed by Jesse Bochco. This is not a spoiler-free podcast, so if you haven't seen this episode of the show yet, pause this podcast, go watch it, and then come back. Agent Bibbs, why don't you give our listeners a brief synopsis of uh, what happened? Coulson and the team travel to Asia to rescue a young man with an unusual and dangerous power. Meanwhile, Sky has a secret that jeopardizes her relationship with the team. That was intense. Thank you. That Thank made me much. want to rewatch the episode. Yes, in a world of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, only one hacker can betray them. (laughs) Yeah, today on, uh, this week on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., fittingly enough, try to help a pyrokinetic individual who uh, falls into the hands of Project Centipede and uh, Sky's various duplicitous, duplicitousnessnessnessnessness come out. At least for the most part, and it's not nearly as sinister. I think think I was kind of hoping it would be. Uh, they found a way. It's like, ah, oh, yes, I was betraying you, but for entirely benevolent reasons, so the <laughs> audience can still love me. The other thing that I think kind of bugged me about this episode, uh, I'll just bring it up right off the bat, is uh, one more episode like this, and they're going to have to rename uh, Agents of Shield the Mentally Unstable Minority Superhero Power Hour. <laughs> uh, I, I think, uh, uh, yeah. If you're if you're white, you can handle superpowers, and if not, you're gonna lash out and become a supervillain. And that's uh, I don't know. Anyone else find that a little disconcerting? It's like they did the same thing twice. <laughs> it's a little bit of pressure, man. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, the lady before this and uh, the episode before, she didn't really flip out. She got like hacked. I didn't really see her as like a superhero, though. She had like a. It's the difference between uh, like Rhodes in Iron Man three. That's like mechanics and stuff, and he can handle that. But you change their DNA, and they flip out. Oh yeah. Well, you know, white people have been experimenting on genetically on minorities for years. It's, it's a proven fact. 
Wow, this got really uncomfortable all of a sudden. Well, you know, that's what I'm here for, to keep it real. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> it's all right. I, I'm well, just... <laughs> Russell, because you're our, you're our special guest today, I'm just, I'm just curious, what do you think of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. overall as a show, and, and what did you think of this episode? I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it for sure. I'm glad to see Whedon back doing television. Uh, I'm glad to see this universe sort of on a weekly basis. Uh, that's something that I really enjoy. And I think that they're doing a pretty good job. I am a little alarmed that it might start to become like a monster of the week show. I need a little bit more in terms of the character development. And we're starting to get like bits and pieces of it. But I thought that the best episode so far was the one where like Sky was alarmed because she didn't know what her role was in the group. And so that it was more like a personal journey rather than let's go chase down a freak with powers. You know what I mean? I think that the show and will be at its best and that it'll be its most sort of weedony when it focuses on those characters. And, and, and like I said, I'm hoping that uh, these are just some sort of early episode, you know, working out who the characters are, and it'll sort of settle into that the way that a lot of shows uh, that also have this procedural element do. But yeah, until it does that, I'm, I like it, but I'm not in love with it. I think you're the only person I know who would say that episode two is their favorite episode of the show so far. Is that, is that the one where she goes, she goes in and uh, to the guy's building or whatever? Quinn. Oh no no no! That was that's episode three. Okay. That was the graviton episode. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were talking yeah, about yeah, episode yeah. two when she was trying to figure out what her role was, and then she ended up just reading the uh, the plane manual. No, I mean they like they introduced it there. They introduced it there, but she didn't really like come into her own. Like at the beginning of Agent uh, of episode three, she's got that whole like I still don't really know why I'm here, and she's very non-committal, and she like doesn't really know what she's doing. Uh, and then by the end of it, she sort of has some purpose. And so I I like the personal journey stuff a lot more. Like anytime we get any hint about backstory, that's my favorite stuff. I, I don't want them to hold back on the backstory. I want them to like really come through with it right away. Uh, Blacklist, the Blacklist on Mondays is really starting to get better very quickly because the stories are becoming more and more about the characters and less about like the monsters that they're hunting down. So uh, I would really like to see Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. continue to do that. I think it will do that. Whedon has shown that he will do that. Blacklist is about monsters? Human monsters. Oh, okay. I was about to say, I, I have to start watching Blacklist. Like, no, okay, I don't have to. All right, great. So, Russell, were you a fan of this episode because we got some more info on Sky and what her whole deal is? Yeah, I was a fan of it for the most part. It wasn't the strongest episode yet, but there were some good points. It, it did feel a little more isolated than I would than I would like it, but we did start to again get like hints. I, I just I want more information. I don't want them to hold back as much. I realize like they're kind of doing it in order to sort of drag out the the storyline, but like I want to know who these characters are right away. Like I, I feel like that's gonna really dive me into. I still really enjoyed it. And I was sitting there, my girlfriend will tell you, I watch these shows and I kind of, I talk during them. I'm like, oh shit, you know, like I, I'm that guy during, uh, during Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like when, uh, when Scorch uses his powers against like the doctor lady, like she was, she was looking away, eating a bite of her dinner. And I was like, oh, you're missing it. You're missing it. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting on the couch like, bitch, don't go in the room. <laughs> 
stop eating the chicken divan for like two seconds and look up. Because there's a good effect going on here. Well, okay, yeah. So let, let's talk about this this villain of the week that we got in this episode. Bibbs and Rod, I believe last week you had said that maybe this was going to be some character named Sunfire? Yeah, they made it kind of look like it was going to be Sunfire, but that's not obviously where they went. They created a new one. Uh, unless I'm missing something. Rodimus, there are guys named Scorch-er in the Marvel Universe, but this is the first Scorch, right? Yeah, it's not, um, it's not Sunfire. Well, he's not even Japanese, he's Chinese. So I feel like a racist. I feel terrible. There's no character named uh, like Scorch that is of significance in the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, it was uh, pretty much for this show. They came up with this guy. Well, you know why there's no character named Scorch? Because Scorch is a terrible name. It is pretty bad. Yeah. I wish he would have used it in a, a sentence. I wish he would have like said after he killed the doctor, like, you just been scorched. <laughs> <laughs> He does use it once. He actually, like, when he, like, he throws it, he's like, oh, careful, you almost got scorched. <laughs> I have a name. I wanted to say it with, like, some menace, you know, where, like, he turns around and the camera zooms in and he's like, prepare to be scorched. Well, I want to see him use it in, like, a really monotonous context. Like, he's just sitting at home in TV. I'm going to watch some scorch wood. <laughs> I actually would have liked him to uh, kill someone and say it's going to be a scorcher out there today. Oh, it's a good one. Here's what I thought was interesting about the whole name bit, because this is actually something that uh, can get really awkward in superhero storytelling. I noticed it a lot in uh, cartoon series in particular, uh, how people decide to name themselves, uh, because when you think about it, it's really arch and weird to name yourself. You know, uh, in the Spider-Man movies, they did a pretty good job of saying, oh, the Daily Bugle named them or someone else named them. It was fine. But uh, every time it's like, oh, yes, you called me a vulture because of how I looked. Well, now I am the vulture. (laughs) (laughs) So they even make a big deal of it. It's like, oh, no, they gave him a name. I can't tell if that was supposed to be like, oh, how trite. Or if that was supposed to be, well, there's no turning back now. Now he has a name. It felt to me like those are the lighter beats of the show, the stuff involving his name, almost like the comic relief, though this episode wasn't nearly as funny as the previous two episodes. You know, I, I could see how maybe someone would interpret it differently, but I, I, I took it as like it, it's a obvious like joke, especially when Colson says, oh, no, they gave him a name, you know, and like I, I thought it was, you know, obvious they were joking around about it. His file say anything about him being homicidal? She said he was kind of a tool. Mr. Chan, believe it or not, this could still get worse. You've been someone long enough and they break. Poor little Chao Yin may have believed your lies, but not Scorch. Who? Oh, crap. They gave him a name. I thought that was a great joke, but I, I also thought that this episode, in many ways, kind of felt like a retread of the pilot, and it was dealing with some similar themes and ideas. This is another case where you've got a guy who wants to be famous, wants to be more than he is, and he sort of gets caught up in his powers and goes over the edge with it. And very specifically with the exact same project with Centipede. Right, Right. Yeah, it's really kind of on the nose. And it's showing that Centipede gives guys, uh, gives people like a narrative. Like they, they get in your head. They don't just like soup up your power. They, they're like, and you're going to be like a hero and you're going to be all this stuff. It's like they're just a super villain training seminar. 
Right, and so that's kind of how I took this up with the name and, and why it was so important. It's they, they gave him this name, and that just represents this new person that he wants to be, this new, heroic, super powerful, influential person that he, that he wants to be. And that's why it's such a problem that he has the name. I thought that was interesting. I thought they tied it in with those themes pretty well. My only one real complaint with this character is that kind of switch he makes midway through the episode to suddenly become evil didn't really mesh to me because just a few moments before he had been like kind of surprised like oh no you've betrayed me centipede what are you doing and then for him to suddenly go back to disliking shield it didn't quite work for me i didn't feel like that really came organically from the character yeah, normally in, uh, you know, these type of situations, they give a guy some type of, like, huge tragedy or some, like, huge turning point to flip you that fast. And he didn't really have one. You know, typically it's, oh, and then so-and-so died, and now I'm going to make everyone pay or whatever. And his just kind of like, you know what? These powers are kind of cool. No one's telling me what to do anymore. And therefore, I must kill everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, what a huge overreaction. I mean, like, I've, like burned my hand on like the oven rack before but it didn't make me want to go homicidal on people you know what i mean like (laughs) or if it did the impulse faded he looked down at like that scorched hand of his and he was like shield's fault (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it didn't make a whole lot of sense (laughs) it did not make a lot of sense Uh, and uh, getting back getting back to the name thing real quick i wonder if at some point uh there was a scene in which he said i think we're gonna call you the human <laughs> yeah, there's a part where he's like, This isn't such and such, this is torture or whatever. And mm-hmm. it just it felt like they just didn't have a lot for his character to, to to do. They just needed a guy who they could, no pun intended, burn in an episode like this and not worry about returning. So it was like I hope he comes back as living fire. I hope he comes back as just a burn victim. There you go. Just a skeleton walking around burning <laughs> shit. That should be kind of awesome. Like, that is the worst power ever is once it starts burning yourself. It's really like, right. what's the fucking point of his power? Then? Well, his platelets will grow back, right? I mean, I'm not crazy, right? That's not like you only have one of those, and then you're you're out, you're out forever, uh, right? He, was, he decided, fuck that noise. He was, okay. Um, yeah, I like the, you know, if, if he's burning himself, at some point, you know, if he had not blown up, then, like, his lips would have grafted together and he would have been trying to deliver his, like, lines going, <laughs> But then it's the end of X-Men Origins Wolverine and no one wants that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I just felt like he was gonna, uh, at some point, stop using his powers and be like, Son of a bitch, that stings! <laughs> kept Ow! That really hurts! <laughs> Why am I doing this? This makes no sense. <laughs> Stop burning myself badly. <laughs> this is a villain that requires a lot of uh, CGI in order to make him work. And the CGI in this episode ranged from pretty good, especially some of the shots at the end, to really terrible looking. Did that bother you guys at all? What did you think of the effects work here? Fire is always hard to do right uh, in CGI. Uh, so maybe I'm just kind of used to it, just sort of looking okay. And also the fact that it's unnatural fire, I thought gave him a bit of an out. Yeah, it didn't bother me at all, honestly. I, I had less a problem with the bad CGI and more problem with 
the shots that they framed so that the effects were right out of the frame. Oh, I know. And then his hand kind of goes across the frame, but you see just like, oh, there should have been fire there. Yeah, so like, so for people watching the video feed, I'm moving my hands immediately out of the screen, and he, he goes like, oh, let me shoot another fireball. Ugh! <laughs> we just see like somebody shine a flashlight on him. Some grip, like there's a flashlight that they're waving in his face, you know, like. Uh, that was kind of lame. I would have rather seen more bad CGI than see them, like, zoom in far enough that, like, the effects are out of the frame like that. Well, look, they only had the budget for one fireball, okay? It was still more impressive than the firebending in Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. (laughs) So I'm going to cut him some slack. In terms of pure effects, I don't know about that. Like, uh, well, if you would if it would have been Shyamalan's uh, The Last Airbender, I'm pretty sure a white dude would have been playing. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The the Chinese got to stay Chinese, but the Japanese uh, became Indian, uh, and the Eskimos uh, and the and the Tibetans became white. All I know is Aang was a white dude. Aang was a white dude, and all the Eskimos are white dudes. The homicidal people in the Last Airbender movie were still minorities, so right. That's the important thing. That is the important thing that we all know that minorities will kill all white people at the drop of a hat. Yeah, This is listen, this is Agents of Shield extending an olive branch to the to middle of America. All right? This is like this is a show that's like we're not going to exclude Republicans. We're going to we're going to bring everyone that was just a cheap shot. I actually feel really guilty for having said that. It's a show that's pretty conservative in its politics anyway. I mean, it's all well, about yeah. how you know, the big government agency, you know, has the rights to infringe upon your privacy for the better good. I mean, like, the politics no, are definitely Well, rich. I think also there is a message here that if you mess with a guy's DNA with eugenics, he might get mad. So there's also that. That's hard to deny. That's, That's hard, hard to deny. deny. Pretty much steady throughout. In my experience, so. that has always been the case. Yeah. <laughs> Generally speaking, the uh, but you bring up a good point. They they do bring up yet again the whole like, well, Shield is sort of like completely ignoring all of our basic inalienable human rights just whenever it suits them. And fortunately, these particular Shield agents are only doing it when it is exactly the right thing to do, and there's no negative repercussions for it whatsoever. And I don't know. A part of me kind of wants to see like another like asshole Shield team that doesn't do it the right way. Or is not necessarily corrupt, but just as an ends justify the means kind of guys and sort of puts them into context saying like, you know, this is what they're actually afraid of. This is actually legitimate. Like a Battlestar Pegasus. Yeah, I feel uh, like they missed the opportunity in this episode because the team in in China could have been that, you know, like it. his turn would have made more sense. And I think maybe we were supposed to feel that way. Uh, because he does kill the uh, the main agent of Shield there when he goes off, like he's the first guy he really like fucks up or whatever. Um, but but it, I never felt that they were some overbearing evil presence that was like destroying his life and he was getting his uh, comeuppance. And I and they and they probably could have done that with just a few short scenes of them, you know, or even just a short backstory of fucked up things they had done to keep him from uh, you know using his powers or whatever. Yeah. I actually I don't I don't mind a show by the way with conservative politics. I mean, I think that most superhero movies and, you know, action films generally do tend to lean that way, you know, like vigilantism is good, you know, these forces that sort of uh intrude upon your life without you knowing it 
are looking out for the greater good, regardless of, you know, regardless of whether they have to act within the confines of the law. I mean, like these are all sort of very conservative beliefs that make for great action movies and make for great sort of superheroes. So, I mean, like I, I love nothing more than, you know, like, I mean, 24, you know, is like the most conservative thing in the entire world. And it was awesome. Yeah, yeah and it was great. Well, so, I mean, well, it depends on what kind of conservative, because like Tea Party people just don't want a government at all. So, I mean, you could argue that Tea Partyism is closer to the libertarian field, you know, in that regard. Well, I like that. I, I do like that it comes into play, like, uh, because it was one of the things we did our preview episode that I was like, uh, should be like a major plot point because in the comics, the shield is kind of mostly surveillance because there's so many superheroes in the comic books that kind of go out and do the actions, but shield kind of monitors, cleans up and all this other stuff, you know, to assist in the, the things that they feel are the best for the, uh, you know, for the world. And in real life, when we're having debates about the NSA, when France is like, talking shit to our country about you know how much we surveil each other i feel like you can't not talk about this if you're gonna week do a weekly show where you know the main point of this uh agency is to monitor everyone and uh you know kind of influence their actions towards what they believe is the greater good right they even uh name drop chelsea manning and Edward Snowden mm-hmm. right. in this yeah. episode. So now I'm wondering, like, okay, is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., is, is this some crazy alternate Marvel universe where everything is is exactly like it is in our universe except with superheroes? Except for that. Right. That I, was strange. I, th- I think they should all have superpowers. Like, Snowden has ice powers. And it's like, you just got snowed in, Coulson. Yes. <laughs> I, I did think that, again, like mentioning Manning and Snowden, having like how Manning and Snowden were treated be referenced by who is essentially like the sniveling bad guy, the guy helping the bad guy. Yeah. You know, like, again, that sort of says something about the politics. It's like, you know, if you're somebody who thinks that locking away Manning, you know, for a year in solitary confinement for, you know, what she did was justified then uh you are on the good guy's side here (laughs) well uh for the record i I have to disagree with that a little bit because the whole point between him and sky was that he was coming off saying that he was standing for all this shit but the turn that separated him from manning and snowden was that he did it for a million dollars at the end of the day it wasn't about truth justice and getting uh you know freedom out there for everybody to to understand and have knowledge i agree with all of that i'm not i'm not comparing manning and snowden to miles or whatever that dude's name is i'm saying that miles is the one in the show who brings up you know the injustice of manning and snowden's treatment and it, it turns out that the guy that brings that subject up is like the douchebag guy helping the bad guy. Yeah. You know, and the shield agents just dismiss it. Yeah, I was just trying to say as a to say like that's I don't think that that would have really counted as like, well, the show is saying that those two people should be locked up because the show at that point, that means the show is basically saying this guy is using an altruistic cover with guys who actually did put their guy and, and lady who put their life on the line just for the idea of information freedom but he's just a piece of shit. So like he's saying this, but it would be like if someone said, "Well, Martin Luther King and Mar- and Malcolm X died for the freedoms of the black people, and I'm doing this for a million dollars." But 
Right, right. So, so I don't think they were vilifying those two guys, uh, two people. Did you sell information? Miles, yes or no? Did you? Yes, but... Oh, you're so dead. What the hell were you thinking? It was a million dollars. A million dollars. It would change my life. Our lives. And that woman was harmless. I looked into it. No one with good intentions pays that kind of money for information. Did you ever think about that? Of course I did. I never would have done it if I thought there was... Who's the woman you referred to? A fan of the rising tide. Some rich girl in a flower dress. She knew all about me. Said I had a gift. She thought people like us deserved more. Oh, you deserve more. She pointed me to a Chinese shield feed, wanted me to crack it. You thought that was harmless? I checked the data stream. It didn't seem like anything you and I hadn't already put out there, Sky. And I traced the account where the money came from to make sure it wasn't some evil corporation. It was just an eco-research lab. Otherwise, I would never... Ecological research. Yeah, insects. Some study with centipedes. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate here a little bit. I actually did not think that Miles came off as a sniveling douchebag in this episode. I actually found myself kind of agreeing with him and feeling sympathetic towards him a lot of the time because uh, he's just a guy who uh, has these principles, but he saw a chance to make some money, and he did not intentionally do anything wrong. He did not know that this information was going somewhere evil or that it would be misused he just thought it was about insects but sky makes the point though that anyone who would pay one million dollars for you to hack like a super secret thing probably isn't using it for the nicest of reasons it's like a botanist like what what like insectologist or whatever that word is who has who has a mill like lying around you know what i mean it's the independent contractors on the Death Star argument. They knew what they were doing. And I, I feel like we learned a lot about Andrew, so that's important. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, because I, as someone who is a freelance journalist, I could really use a million dollars. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, if I could make a million dollars and as far as I was aware, I wasn't doing anything that would betray my principles or hurt anybody – I don't see the problem with that. I, I think if Miles was intentionally doing this, then I would view him as a as a douchebag. But the worst you can say about him is that he's ignorant and stupid. I would equate that with douchebag, but I think we're all missing the point. Uh, and the point is, Russell, where the fuck did you get that hat? <laughs> oh, this is probably, uh, you know, the Macklemore special. This is probably a thrift shop hat for like a dollar. You know, I, I, I bought this back in college, and I called this my party hat. I used to wear this while, you know, playing beer pong and stuff. You know, the other thing with Miles, though, is that he uh, was supposed to stay away from S.H.I.E.L.D. anyway. So that, like, that's also a douchebag because he compromised Sky's cover, you know, just to make a quick buck when that obviously was not part of the deal. That's a good point. That's a good point. I'll agree with you there. Yeah. I'm not saying he's evil, but I do think a douchebag applies. There's something else they brought up as a, as a kind of a throwaway plot point here, but I seriously suspect uh, it's going to be important later. The index. The list that they have of everyone with superpowers, which isn't that long, but long enough to be a list. And, uh, yeah, I feel like that's going to be super duper, duper, duper important later. Is it just me? Well, also, the big bad in prison, like, I think all that stuff's going to tie together. The clairvoyant that they haven't introduced yet, like, all that stuff. 
I was a little bit irritated by everything with the list, to be honest, just because you could tell they the writers didn't want to write themselves into a corner. So they were like, well, is there are there a lot of people on the list or just a few people? And it was like, oh, well, you know, there's there's people. There's a, there's some people. So they didn't clarify like what exactly it is and, and how many people are on it. And I was a, a little bit annoyed that they didn't pin it down more. And I understand that they want to give themselves some freedom, but, but still, I kind of feel like, well, why bring it up if you don't know what you're going to do with it? Maybe they know exactly what they're going to do with it, and they don't want us to know yet. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I hate it when they foreshadow things. Yeah. Like, a lot of frustration people do have with the show is stuff that, in, watching anything episodically, you would have some of these issues, because this is going to take a time to build up some of the characters, and they do take steps towards that in each episode so far, in my opinion. Um, like in this one, where we kind of learned Sky's backstory is all about her family and stuff. And I believe it was episode three where Quinn, he was like, well, you're the kind of person they recruit. You don't have any family. And then she makes that like really foreshadowing face of like, oh, yeah, I don't have any family. So, I mean, it looks like they do like think forward. It's not just, you know, freestyle in each episode. So, you know, I'm hopeful that all this stuff matters. I was so glad they finally revealed what was up with Sky, just because I feel like they've been dragging it out a little bit. And you you brought up episode three. That scene in episode three where she's just like, yeah, I was in an orphanage or whatever, that just was not enough for me. And I was like, come on, you got to give me more than that. And so I was glad we finally got a little bit more of that backstory and discovered that, uh, no, she just wants to learn about her parents and that's what was on the uh, the little SD card that she took that she keeps in her bra, apparently. It's a good place for it. Does that satisfy you dramatically, though, to find out that the reason why she infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. was just so she can find out who her birth parents No, it doesn't. It, it, it's a real cop-out, because it gave you all that suspense, but then it doesn't pay off in any way, and it really makes her seem even more sympathetic, rather than complicating her character. And I, I, it's okay. Like, I'm not going to quit the show or nothing, but... I was thinking it makes me wonder if that's it, though. Hmm. You know, there are there seems to be, like, more layers to a lot of shit that people do on here, so... I wouldn't be surprised if there's more to it because obviously if her parents had everything redacted and covered up, she'll probably involved in that shit. And that makes me more intrigued because now I want to know what's the reason that her parents had, you know, so much stuff covered up. Like I, I'm actually more interested in her as a character because of this background kind of leading down another rabbit hole that, that will also probably involve shield and the idea of you know the morality of covering up people's shit <laughs> there's a good comment uh, in the chat room it's dumb the super hacker can break into shield with a laptop but she can't find her parents yeah. <laughs> see that all works for me i'm okay with this backstory for sky when it comes to her wanting to find her parents what didn't quite work for me was how they they just turned her double agent status and all this stuff with the rising tide, and they just boiled it down to, oh, no, it's this one guy that she's been communicating with. It's this boyfriend or whatever that, that she yeah. has a little fling with, and that just felt way too simplistic for me. I was like, oh, come on. You built it up like it was going to be this big thing. Rising Tide is just anonymous, basically. It's, it's, it's a 4chan like, message board that got out of hand. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a, not a terribly big fan of that. Is this? It's everything I have. On us? 
me. That's why I learned to crack systems. Why I joined the rising tide. To find any details I could about my parents. There's nothing. No records. There's no trace of them. My lifelong search has led to a single document. Redacted. My shield. I do have a theory, though, and I'd like to run it by you guys. Uh, about Sky's parentage. Because how cool would it be if Ward was her brother? Oh, yes, please. That would be cool. <laughs> we had that one line in the pilot episode. It's like, well, because of who your parents were. And it's like, oh, oh, okay. So she's been scoping out her brother. That's good, because we all know how much these guys like Star Wars. So, uh, you know, it'll it'll work out really, really well. The only issue is that Ward was raised with his family and siblings so which might be why her adoption papers had to be redacted yeah it would mean they only abandoned just sky and then went on and had a happy family life they don't like girls he was allowed to have an older (laughs) asshole brother but no girls we'll see and they already you know are talking about shield like it's this family and guy and ward are the siblings and colson and melinda are the parents so that would be interesting if it turns out that they actually are brother and sister and you have a little luke and leia thing going on I'm going to go on them and say that won't happen, but go ahead. Uh, also, uh, did they just kind of tell us that uh, Agent Coulson and Melinda May have fucked before? It did seem like they were intimating that there was uh, some sexual chemistry there. Well, she said, like, I could put some mats down and we can go one-on-one like the old days. Right. Uh, and this isn't the first time we've heard of uh, Coulson the playa. Yeah. So, uh, you know, good on him, I say. The only thing is, um, Melinda May doesn't look like she make, tells any jokes, so... I, I believe she really would have took him downstairs and whooped his ass. <laughs> I have trouble also with, like, I I want more backstory. My problem is, and again, it's not uh, impeding my enjoyment of the show. It's just impeding like my full love of the show that I desire. Is that like a lot of these things that are revealed seem like things that we probably could have predicted. Our hero, who seems complex joining it because of, like, mommy and daddy issues. Like, I feel like that's played, you know what I mean? Like, I, I feel like last episode when the girl's face pops up on the screen and Coulson turns around and he's like, I should know, I trained her. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then, what? like, the, the, chicken, the chicken South America that he had, like, had a fling with back in the day and it happened to be, like, a chick that he had had a fling with. I just feel like these are all, you know, tropes that we've seen before, which is fine. It makes it totally diverting television, but unless the characters continue to really come into their own and really pop off the page as more than just like, this is this archetype, this is this archetype, then uh, it's just not going to blossom the way that I really, really want it to. I'm going to go on a limb and say that uh, it's not that predictable because we do a show where we predict what happens next week, every week, and none of us predicted that it was going to be her no mom and dad have redacted shit with the you know with shield i think maybe in hindsight it's easy to say or even when you're watching the episode maybe because everything you know has cliches to it but i don't think it's like that predictable i I feel like there's some good twists and turns to the to the story i feel like this is the first episode where a lot of those twists and turns didn't feel earned 
You know, for me, it, it boils down to um, I feel like the whole I don't know who my real parents are subplot is overplayed dramatically. It's been done to death a lot. You just wrote that Peter Parker had the same issue. Uh, and it makes me just wonder, like, how many people in the entertainment industry uh, were adopted? <laughs> uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Like, there's no n- nothing negative about being adopted or whatever. But like, it's not Parent run out on them. or find out that their father isn't who they thought they were and was actually running the empire. Like, how many times does this happen? I know it does, but it like it, it's it's such a go to plot point, and I don't know anyone who really identifies with Maybe it. Maybe we you know? have a parent privilege, you know, like we're speaking from a place of knowing our parents and. No, no, no I grant you that. I'm lucky. I knew my parents. My parents were great. Uh, I'm not saying that parenting issues should be off the table, but it seems to me that finding out your parents were someone important doesn't happen too often in real life, even if you don't know who your parents right. are. He's usually just some guy, you know? So, so like, it's it's a really tired cliche at this point, and the reason why I couldn't predict this is because I was giving the show more credit. I would not have thought they would have gone here. But it also is why um, it works, though, is because her parents are somebody important, and she obviously has been searching, like, finding little threads, but not able to, like, figure out exactly what it was. And then as a, a husband to a wife who was adopted, I know she was obsessed with, you know, finding her father for many years. Sure. And even to the point where there's like uh, funeral pictures and, and flyers and shit. And she was like, I don't even know if he's dead. I, I still want to find him. I want to know exactly what happened. So uh, it is a uh, one of those motivations that the reason it's a cliche is because it's true and it's eternal and everybody well, wants to know where they came from. Well, William's point is, I think, is not that. That's not true. All of that is obviously true. You know, the search for where we came from and the effects of our parents upon who we are. And if we don't know who our parents are, the desire to know that. I mean, that's obviously incredibly dramatically rich. The thing that's played out at this point is the finding out that your parents are someone wildly important in the scheme of the greater universe. And that's something that I think is not as rooted in, uh, you know, something dramatically real that like we that we deal with on on a day-to-day basis i mean i again like as a teacher i know a lot of kids who have dealt with this sort of thing and the majority of their parents are just you know some schmuck who works at the wawa you know a few towns over personally i i think i'm gonna side a little bit more with rod here just because yeah we've seen it before but i still feel like there's so much potential in it because it is so dramatically rich that they could still take this even though we've seen it before and do some really interesting things with it i agree with that it's the initial choice to travel this path that concerns me it's obviously not the end game because we don't know where it's going to go but you know when we're given so little character background that for like one of the first big meaty things we get to be something that we have seen a lot before makes it a little bit disappointing, frankly. And I, I still have trust in Whedon based on his, his past. And, you know, uh, I saw faith in the franchise. Marvel's been great with all their characters uh, that they have the rights to for the most part, you know, like, but I, I just, because I want more from the characters for the first big snippet that we get from her background to be that is underwhelming. All right. Well, well, real quick, new theory. Coulson is her father. <laughs> because he uh, he gives her that little that little look at the end, like oh you might not like what you find yeah <laughs> or what if her father is Killian from Iron Man three 
the head of centipede and yeah. extremists or whatever. Okay. Yeah. But here's the thing. And we, in Iron Man three, we saw where he was at in like 1999. And I don't believe that he had sex before. that. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, that's my only theory. Speaking of which, I'm still not sure when this takes place. Is, is this before Iron Man three or after I still, it is after unclear. Iron Man three because, ex- because of extremists. We've talked about it several times. No one knew what it was before Iron Man three. And now we do. Now nah, we debated that because some people knew Tony Stark didn't know. But it's still unstable, though. They're still working on Extremis, which makes... Right, it wasn't stable in Iron Man 3 either. Well, right, but then Tony right. fixed it at the end. Tony fixed it for himself. He didn't necessarily give it to S.H.I.E.L.D. because he wants going to be using Extremis. What an asshole. Yeah, he is an <laughs> asshole. But what are you going to do? You know, hey, listen, I'm going to give you this perfect super soldier serum organization I clearly don't trust, as we saw in the Avengers. No, I don't. I think he'd rather let them think it's unstable and think they'll never use it again. So I do buy that. Well, they're going to keep blowing people up, man. I'm still a bit confused as to when this is all taking place, and I wish they would either reference something in Iron Man 3 to let me know that it's taking place afterwards or just say something. Well, the Manning and Snowden references at least give you some idea. I mean, like, didn't they refer to it as Chelsea Manning? I mean, that's a pretty recent development. Yeah, they did. That's true. Yeah, that is true. Yes, I mean, like, even if if it's before Iron Man 3, like, if you want to try and put it on a timeline like that, that is uh, barely before Iron Man 3. Here's a question for you. Do you think in this universe, the Avengers exists as a movie and Coulson went to the theater on opening day <laughs> and saw the reenactment of it with Robert Downey Jr.? There actually is a long history in the comics, at least, of detailing what Marvel comics are like in the Marvel Comics universe. There's a couple of veiling theories on that. They did one fun uh, miniseries in the mid-90s where they showed – they just published issues of this comic book series, but it was all based on conjecture. Like Fantastic Four was like really overly exalted and everyone loved them, so they had no problems whatsoever. And it was actually kind of a boring comic book. Whereas Spider-Man was like funded by like the Daily Bugle and he was like a horrific monster. But the thing that I like the best was uh, in Dan Slott's She-Hulk run where he said that uh, because comic books had the Comics Code Authority on the cover and that was actually a government organization, they illegally had to be historically accurate. Mm. So uh, the long and short of it is, yes, they do have these comic books. I'm not sure if they have the movies yet. The Avengers only just happened. The Avengers would still be in development, I think, is the long and short of it. Okay, okay. They got way more deep than Andrew's joke. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I, I didn't think it was a joke. I was actually thinking about this when they talked about Captain America lunchboxes. Now I want to see the episode where Coulson gets called to Hollywood and has to deal with the people that are going to play him in the Avengers movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that would be fun. Or in a few seasons when uh, when they make some comment like, "Hey, what are you doing tonight?" Oh, I'm getting ready to watch Agents of Shield. It's about to premiere. <laughs> Colson's like, who's going to play me? And they're like, well, uh, there's this guy on this uh, sitcom with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. <laughs> <laughs> He's not right for me. Um, another thing I was wondering about, too, is uh, they still feel like they live in a world where they can't say mutant. But this is yeah, obviously a uh, mutant power. Like, I don't even think there's any way around. This guy, didn't. his power didn't even come from experimentation. He had this power going into the experiment, so... I thought that was interesting. It, it is interesting. It's it, it's the thing is when Stanley created mutants, he flat out said, "I invented the idea of being born a mutant because I was tired of having to come up with origin stories all the time." So it, it was born out of laziness, which I just I just love. Mm-hmm. 
But with Marvel not having that as an out, all the best they can do is like, it's a mystery. Yeah. This is a person who has a mutation. Hmm. Much better. It's like, they might not even be able to say that, frankly. Right, yeah. It's yeah. Like, I don't know if it's just the deal with Fox or what. They just they refuse to say it. Even at the end where she's like, you need to talk to the clairvoyant. Oh, ESP might exist. Ooh, or maybe it's just a name. Yeah, like probably someone that maybe they can use their power to predict the future. But guess what? They're not going to call him a mutant. Um, one thing I do want to talk about, we, we've talked about before on this podcast about the audiences that the show is trying to engage with and how it's sort of a family show, but then last week we saw that it could get a little bit darker and a little bit graphic. Uh, this episode had some graphic parts in it. I mean, uh, Agent Kwan, played by Tsima, uh, who's a great actor, he winds up with a big hole in his chest. And then uh, later on, the doctor from the pilot, she gets burned to death, and that was surprisingly graphic, yep. I thought. Well, he needed to make it be that graphic because otherwise they couldn't justify uh, with these characters that we love so much just flat out murdering Scorch. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we oh we, right. we used all of our night night bullets. Well, I'm like, you didn't bring more ammo. What the hell is the matter with you? So now we have to murder him. That's not very heroic. Yeah, they kind of did the same thing that they did in the third episode where Coulson was kind of like, well, I gave you a chance. But you didn't take it, so now I have to keep it. But in that episode, the world was at stake. And in this episode, it's basically, well, I could just let him go for now or order back up. Well, I don't think you understand, Bibbs. They had given him a name. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Once somebody gets a name, you have to kill that motherfucker. You, you, they cannot go back. You cannot go back from that. It's, uh, it's one step beyond. It seemed pretty obvious to me what had to happen. Yeah, no. <laughs> they call that justifiable homicide in the line of duty. Yes, of course they did. <laughs> but no one was. But here's the thing: he wasn't actually killing anyone at the moment, so it's not. Uh, start killing motherfuckers, though. He had to go, right? I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to just shoot someone in the back, or in this case, stab them with two syringes in the back that you know will make them explode. Oh, by the way, so cool. Melinda May is my hero. <laughs> like she swooped in like a fucking ninja. Double syringes to the back, <laughs> the fuck out before dude even exploded. She continues to be the best character on the show to me. So what you're saying, Rod, is that in your opinion, the characters would be better if they were just more violent? Yeah, I believe we all watch uh, Walking Dead and Breaking Bad and all that shit. Yeah, more violence is never it's never not the answer to entertainment. All right. Well, the last thing I want to bring up uh, this this episode is called Girl with the Flower Dress, and it's referring to this character, uh, Reyna, played by Ruth Nega, who does survive the episode, so I guess we can assume that she will be taking over for the Doctor as this new centipede antagonist. She came off as kind of bland to me in this episode. I'm not quite sure there's much of a personality there. I'm hoping that they'll flesh her out more in the future. What did you guys think of this character, Reyna? That's about right. Yeah. Listen, she's, uh, she's untrustworthy. She's attractive. She wears distinctive flowery dresses, and she'll occasionally crack wise. That's all we know about her. That's not much of a character. It's, it's like we know only slightly more about her than we do about the centipede doctor, and I'm expecting the next episode, when we see the girl with the flower dress, she'll be killed by another slightly more interesting character who will become the face of Centipede, and they'll just keep going throughout the whole series until we finally get a full-fleshed-out character in the series finale. That's the big twist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she uh, She's pretty. Uh, it looked like she was also, like, 
had this really calming presence and i wonder if that's gonna be anything like a power or something or if it's just that she's just that fucking smooth because uh she was able to manipulate the (laughs) shit out of that dude real easy like and then also in the prison that dude seemed to not want to do what the fuck she had to say and she was able to kind of manipulate him and then he kind of was like i like that dress and then she was like i know and walked off so i wonder if it's like something more to her character than just a pretty face Look, rule number one, no matter how attractive a lady is, don't just pick her up off the street and then show her your deepest, darkest secret. Yeah. That's just not a good idea. That was kind of my issue with the main bad guy in this episode. It was like, he so willingly gave everything up in his backstory. Like, it was very procedural. You see this guy on the street, and he's just giving up all his information. She basically was a stranger that he just saw while he couldn't make money throwing fire on the street. It was just very flat out and, and forward, just not a lot of intrigue to it at all. So that, yeah. that was kind of an, an issue for me. I, it felt like a really bad advertisement for blackpeoplemeet.com. Well, you know, it's a plot point that gets used a lot, which is all men are stupid for attractive women, which is a little condescending and a little true. But at the same time, I think there's a difference between, oh, you're attractive and interested in me. I'll take you back to my apartment and we'll see what happens. And uh, the rough equivalent of, oh, you're attracted and interested in me. Here's my social security number. That's essentially what he did. Yeah, there wasn't even like sexual tension there. Like, I felt like with some of the spacing in the scenes, they tried to like create some, but it never got overtly sexual. She wasn't really seducing him. That's because it's an 8 o'clock show, and they can only go so far. You know, they can only show Sky in her underwear. Sky met Miles and fucked that dude, and then we came back from commercial. That's right. I'm interested to see if it's some type of power, is what I'm saying. I'm interested to be if it's like, oh, she can make men do whatever or some shit. And then she, and we'll work on Coulson, and we'll be like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I have no problem with a bland uh, villain as long as it's played by a really hammy actor. Right. And uh, (laughs) she's not not enough for my taste quite yet. I'm like, I'm intrigued, but I would have preferred it more if I could have gotten like a real good, like, hammy, like, smile as she walked away at the end or something. You know what I mean? Like, I... I, I want like I want a little more I can sink my teeth into. If you're not going to give me information, then at least give me some uh, some scenery chewing. You know what I'm not sure I've seen in the Marvel Studios cinematic universe. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I might have missed something, but a good supervillain cackle. You know, <laughs> you know, like like really just giddy at your supervillainish tendencies and abilities. Mickey Rourke in Iron Man Two uh, drops a good one as uh, Tony's leaving the uh, the jail cell, or or he does the like, hmm. you would lose, Tony, you would lose. <laughs> you know. I think maybe Emil Blonsky when he was the Abomination, but like, yeah, not too many. Things. I'm feeling like the Red Skull had to have some. I don't think he left. He's not. A, he wasn't a funny guy. Mm. What's in the funny guy? Um, but yo, the other thing too though is I know you guys seem to be like kind of down on him, but I like the more ambiguity of causing the extremist effect on purpose on a motherfucker because he wouldn't come in peacefully. I kind of like when they do shit like that, and I hope more gray area shit happens because I, I I'm a big proponent of the best writing and the best TV comes from moral gray areas, not from like white hats and dark hats. So I kind of want the team to be dirty. It's kind of why I still want sky and uh ward to hook up at some point. Like I, I need mistakes to happen because the show only gets better when people fuck up. 
the main issues I have with this episode pretty much all have to do with Scorch because I liked the turnabout is fair play elements of Sky's betrayal of the Shield team and then the questions it caused between May and Coulson and everybody else. I enjoyed all that shit and I really wish that had been more of the episode than the the kind of, you know, bad guy of the week. Well, my main problem with the show right now, it's not that it's not enjoyable, it's that it feels it's starting to feel a little bit like each week is exactly the same. Like we're going to get a new character who's going to be the bad guy of the week. We're going to get a little bit of character development. We're going to get at least one reference to the fact that something's up with Colson. This week he talks about how he has so much more energy now, suddenly. It just feels like it's repeating the same little elements week after week, and I'm, I'm ready for the show to just kind of switch it up and do something different. Uh, the show's actually going on hiatus next week because they've been extended for a full season, and they're going to take a break and then come back with a full set of episodes. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit excited about that. I'm hoping that now that they've gotten a full season order... They'll just be able to just run with it and start to really change things up a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that they have the freedom to take a few risks now because the format that you're talking about, the Monster of the Week thing, uh, to people like us who watch a lot of these shows and really love it and get used to the comics, we want more than that. But a lot of people like find that comforting. Well, it's not just the Monster of the Week thing. It just seems like in terms of the types of information right. and, the, and the jokes, it's starting to feel a little bit too cookie cutter like okay we're gonna tell you a little bit more about this character we're gonna make a reference to colson here we're gonna have a funny little one-liner here Mm -hmm. and it's it's just feeling a little bit too formulaic i don't have any issues with the monster of the week thing i know that that seems to be a big problem for a lot of people monster of the week doesn't bother me it just needs to be well done i don't think it was well done this episode i think they just need to switch up everything around it a little bit more to make it more interesting and to make it work. It's funny because a couple weeks ago we were like, we need to learn more about Sky, what the fuck's going on with her and all this. And then we do. And it's like, yeah, um, that's not good enough. Fuck that. So I like, I kind of did want to know more about Sky. I felt that, um, the monster this week was just underwhelming. Like this dude, Chan was just not good. His story was, it felt really rushed and straightforward and there's no intrigue in it. So the interactions with that story, to me, just came off really lame. Well, and on top of that, I'm like, even if you just accept Chan as just the generic MacGuffin bad guy, someone we have to fight at the end, this episode also feels like a wasted opportunity in that part of the show anyway, because we didn't really learn anything new about Centipede. Right. We knew that, okay, they're trying to like balance this extremist thing. Well, okay, now they can, but we don't know anything more about why or who's involved. We see two more players involved, but we don't know who they are or why they're important or where they're coming from. And he's dead. Like, unlike the other episodes i didn't feel as bad because at the end of those episodes those people are still alive so they could play a part later right like that that that's why i had that's one of the biggest reasons why i had a problem with him killing them it's not the moral gray area i'm fine with that although it will bug me if they don't address that maybe that was a dick move at least but like they're taking like the game pieces off the board you know, you're introducing someone and you, you're not even like allowing them the opportunity to grow into a real character because in this story, you gave them just a really formulaic subplot. It really felt like they killed him because what the fuck else are we going to do with this guy? Tranquilize him. You can't tell me you only have like nine bullets. Come on. I don't mean as far as options. I mean, when they wrote it, they were like, we don't care about this character. 
So kill him. Maybe eventually you'll realize he has value. So I'm saying leave him alive. You know, you never know. As opposed to Mike Peterson, as opposed to uh, Amador, two episodes, uh, last episode, they didn't go into this guy's backstory. Like there's no personal relations with this dude. It just felt like they wrote this dude as like, look, we just need a reason to expose Sky as a double agent. Right. And get into her parents. It's because his magic sucks. His magic yeah. was terrible. Honestly. Yeah. His magic was terrible. How can you shoot fire and only make a dollar? That doesn't how, make sense. Guys, how great would it be? Now, just hear me out here. All right, because we're all wondering. Yeah. All right, the big mystery, now that we know what Sky's up to, uh, is who is Coulson? Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people are thinking he's an android. A lot of people are thinking all kinds of things. What if, when we finally find out where he went in Tahiti, we find out he met his real parents? Whoa. Yeah. Maybe he is his own real parents. <gasps> All I know is I've given a homeless dude a dollar for rapping. And if you can't get a, ho- a dollar for shooting fire out your hands, you're doing homeless wrong. <laughs> he got a dollar. He got a dollar. He got one dollar from a whole. He got one dollar. Come off more than a dollar if I saw a dude shoot fire out of his hands. Come on. It was done with mirrors. Come on. Speaking of which, uh, that opening scene, it's set in Hong Kong. Yeah. And I thought it was like, yeah. I, it, it was kind of interesting. Like, oh, they're going to another place around the world. And I was kind of like, I'm not sure that's Hong Kong. No, I'm pretty sure that was downtown Los Angeles. Yeah. 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 Couldn't he have just like boiled the egg or something? Like fried the egg instead of making shit pop out of it? Just, I don't know. Seemed like a waste of a character. All right. Well, the last thing I, I do want to say is um, the director of this episode was Jesse Bochco, who is the son of Stephen Bochco who is a huge name in television. He's the guy that created uh, Hill Street Blues, L.A. Law. I like Stephen Bochco because he created a show that was long ahead of its time, and as a result is now considered one of the worst shows ever made, a little show called Cop Rock. Mm. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I think I want to see some Cop Rock-level musical action in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think now is the time... Maybe the nation wasn't ready for it back in the 90s. Right. But it's a new day. We've got Stephen Boschko's son here working on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Let's get a musical episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's not like Whedon hasn't done musical episodes right. before. I right. Mean, like if right. Give, if you give Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. enough seasons, I mean, I'm sure that that would happen. Or at least be like a webisode. Here's what we need. S.H.I.E.L.D. is having a talent show. Fitzsimmons are going to do a musical number. Nick Fury sings. Maria Hill is a contortionist, apparently. Uh, it's just all going to go on like that. We're just it's, That's all it is. You guys are pretty much yeah. describing exactly how to get me to stop watching the show. So. <laughs> I, I would much rather find out who everyone's parents are than this shit. So. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave things. Oh, Andrew, I, there's one more thing. Uh, I don't know if you talked about it. The hacker bracelet things. Uh, oh, yeah. I think that symbolized a loss of trust because they made Guy wear one. Well, what is she going to do now if she can't right. actually see like that's products? my question. Is, no, no. Because they can do, they can do what we tell it to do. Yeah. I'm assuming that that will be a device where sometimes they're going to want to do shit and then other times they're going to be like, yeah, fuck you. So uh, I really can't wait to see how that plays out uh, on missions. I also predict that there's going to be a scene, maybe at the end of the season, where or whenever this whole subplot wraps up, where Sky needs to do something, but the bracelet won't let her, and then she just takes it off because she was smart and always knew how to do it, but she didn't because she was trustworthy. I hacked this bracelet months ago. Yeah, but I left it on because I wanted you to trust me. And how's that dude getting home from China? Carefully. He's not. Yeah. No money and no hacker bracelet. He's going to become a street magician. 
hey, that guy isn't using his apartment. Um, oh, one thing I want to point out, just one, there are two little tiny details that really bug me in this episode. Well, firstly, and this is just a dumb continuity thing, uh, we see Sky and Ward and everyone, and they're tracking Miles at that cafe, and then Miles gets in a high-speed car chase, and then Sky is already wherever he ended up across town. I found that distracting. Yeah. I'm assuming they let her do that because they were tracking her, I'm guessing. Maybe, but it strikes me as a little iffy. That was weird. And then also in that same scene, and I'm guessing they just didn't say so, but that motherfucker recognized Ward right away. Mm. And that was weird, too, because I was like, he wouldn't know that that guy was in S.H.I.E.L.D. unless uh, Sky told him. Well, he's also just really paranoid, and like, here's a guy who's giving him a weird look. But yeah, that would struck me as, at the very least, bad surveillance from Ward. The other thing that bugged me, and I always found this really distracting because they're doing this more and more on TV now, which is uh, when the Chinese uh, Shield team is going through Scorch's apartment. There's like this big stand-up video monitor device with a huge Shield logo on the back, and on the front, a huge Verizon logo. And the show is brought to you by Verizon. Mm. <laughs> yeah shield can't do better than verizon technology come on yeah that's really distracting and it's not as bad as it is on arrow a lot of the time but it's really distracting and i hope we don't see too much of that it's kind of like when spider-man used bing yeah yeah you're a fantastic genius hacker whatever and you use bing yeah <laughs> took me out of the film immediately also i love that he had to look up his own parents death Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my, oh, shit, my parents died in a plane accident. Why haven't I ever been to this before? Oh, I'm an idiot. He probably had Googled it before and not got the results. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been real good advertisement right there. Not if they had just had to search on Bing. They'd had him search on Google, couldn't find shit, made him search on Bing. He calls Google's tech support, and it's Vince Vaughn, uh, who has no help whatsoever. Maybe if Sky just used Bing, she would have found her parents by now. You know? Never know. <laughs> Let's move on and uh, go over some feedback for this episode. If you're in the chat room and you have any questions, go ahead and uh, send us some questions, and we'll do our best to, uh, to answer them. I got some feedback on Facebook from a friend of mine, Keistra Williams, who pointed out some of the uh, that product placement, and she said, um, all I have to say is, as a person who works for Lexus, seeing S.H.I.E.L.D. using Lexus vehicles for military and government missions makes me laugh out loud. No, 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 no. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Lexus in this uh, episode. Well, they should use Lexus Nexus for all their searching instead of Bing. That's true. No, but the thing for me is uh, I love how they're a super secret organization with a giant S.H.I.E.L.D. logo on all of their cars. <laughs> like, just in case you didn't get it, we're S.H.I.E.L.D. Thank you very much. FYI. Yeah, I wish that car chasing could have been with Lola. That would have been dope. Yeah, that would have been much better. Yeah. All right. Well, Rod, do we have any questions in the chat room? Yeah, we do have one question in the chat room. Kai Love said, I read somewhere that the ratings are slipping. What do you think needs to happen to increase viewers? I don't know. The only thing I will say is I heard that uh, the ratings started out super duper crazy high in the first place. So I don't yeah, I don't know if that if if, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a precipitous drop. But I don't know if that means the ratings are like so terrible that it's going to get canceled or something. 
No, I mean, they were good enough to get picked up. So, you know, but they, they're, when you start out that high, there's no way you're going to keep every single viewer. It was always going to go down a bit. And I, the thing is, the entertainment journalism community is looking for a story in this. And uh, Shield's ratings dropped and making that sound alarming is a better story than Shield's ratings dropped, just like they were always destined to do. Nobody worry about it. Like most shows that start big do. Exactly. So it'll it'll stabilize. It uh, probably already is stabilizing as we speak. If they want to increase uh, ratings, the best thing they could do would probably be to make some sort of event that will get people to watch it. You know, if they had, I don't know if they're going to do this, but like, you know, Thor's coming out in about two weeks. If there's an episode that actually ties into the events of Thor, even if it's like in a minor way where they're just sort of mopping up a big action sequence or something from Thor, that might be a good way to get people in because like, hey, if you watch Thor, which you probably did because you're alive, now you can see like this sort of mini sequel that we did on the show. Like that would be a good way to increase ratings and hopefully people will see that the show has gotten even better than it started and then they'll stay. That's my theory. Right. An even easier solution than that is to just find a way to get Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans or to get, you know, just Scarlett Johansson. Like even even just, just having Kobe Smolders on was a good was a good start. You know what I mean? Like uh, that episode when they had Sam Jackson on, I remember people talked about that. If you can put in the trailer in the like commercials the week or two before the show, you know, on this date the S.H.I.E.L.D. team teams up with Thor to solve a mystery or whatever. Everybody and their fucking cousin is going to watch that show. Yeah. You know, so you just yeah. got to find a way to work some of those people. And it doesn't have to be Thor. It doesn't have to be the biggest name. But, you know, if anybody that people recognize from the movies, put them on the TV show, even for one episode. And then exactly what William just said, they'll notice that it was good. Hopefully they'll get to know the characters more. They'll tune in. It'll be worth whatever the expenditure was to get the actor on the show in the first place. I like the idea of Thor solving mysteries. I think that would be great. You see Thor in like a trench coat or, or, or Captain America in a haunted house. Oh, this house is haunted. Captain America will help us solve that. I actually want to see what happens if um, Coulson shows up in these movies again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't yet. Well, the Avengers are only level six, so they're not sure. allowed to know. Uh, yeah, this past episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. had 7.1 million viewers on Tuesday night and a 2.6 rating uh, among adults 18 to 49, which is still a pretty good rating for that time slot. Honestly, I don't think that they need to do anything quite as gimmicky as what you all are talking about. I, I think they just need to make the show better, honestly. They-, they just need to stop trying to play it so broad. They need to figure out what they want to do. They need to be. They need to take some risks, and if they do that, then they will appeal to a core uh, group of fans that will stay loyal, and over time, through word of mouth, they'll start to to gain some of their numbers back. That's honestly what what I think they need to do. It's it's not a matter of how can we tie this into the movies. It's just how can we make this a better show that more people will want to tune in to watch. Yeah, right. And I mean, like, I think I wouldn't be surprised if the blacklist starts doing that because in the last two episodes, it has gotten so much better than its first three or four. Mm. Wouldn't be surprised if people who watch it are going to be just like me, more vocal about like, hey, this show is actually turning into something that's interesting and and fun on a weekly basis. And so you should make it a point to tune in. I agree. Like just making the show the best show it can be is really the best possible. And I think going farther into the characters' backstories will also help that. It'll just uh, create more of a connection with the characters because I connect to mystery on a weekly basis just fine, but if I feel like these characters are my friends, I'm going to want to spend more time with them. 
No, and like another thing is a lot of the better serialized shows start out okay or maybe even troubled and then they only really peak after like the first season comes out on DVD and everyone's heard the buzz but they were they didn't want to jump in in the middle of a series of an ongoing storyline so we'll watch the first couple of seasons of Breaking Bad and then we'll start watching it regularly so that the last couple of seasons are ratings bonanzas right so uh, and that happened with 24 uh, that happened with a lot of different shows so um, you know maybe S.H.I.E.L.D. will be merely a really solid ratings thing and then people will watch it on DVD or Blu-ray see the progression very quickly and then Maybe it'll be a bigger hit in season two if it's still. Ironically, if they want to appeal to more people, they're going to have to do things that might initially appeal to less people. They just have to establish this is our identity. This is what we're doing. If you don't like it too bad. I mean, uh, another new show that's doing pretty well right now is Sleepy Hollow, which is also kind of a it's still sort of a mystery of the week type show. But that show is a lot of fun and it's doing really well. Because it knows what it wants to be, and it's not going to appeal to everyone, but the people that do like it are really going to love it, and they're going to tune in, they're going to stay loyal. Well, and what they do, and what The Blacklist does as well, I mean, like, those two shows and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now are are more like procedurals than they are serialized shows. Right. And so the procedural, all of the episodes of Sleepy Hollow and the recent episodes of The Blacklist, they tie very closely into a necessary revelation of backstory to characters. I mean, like, so we always find out something new about the policewoman on Sleepy Hollow, like every episode, you know, on the blacklist, we find more and more about our main characters every episode. So we see very, very clearly where those things are going. I mean, you know, even like Criminal Minds, which is now on like its billionth season, they did a pretty good job very early on of, you know, these cases impacted the characters on the procedural who then had to reveal why it impacted them so much, and then it connected us to them. They also have way less characters. Uh, Criminal Minds has like eight characters. You know, the Blacklist has like five or six. Right. Firefly had a lot of characters, and they were all very clearly defined from the beginning. And I said this before, and I'll say it again. Uh, I think what's, what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really needs more than anything else is to clearly define, at least on an emotional level, what all the characters want. Right. Not necessarily everywhere they've been, but what are they getting at? What are they searching for? Honestly, with the exception of Sky, who we only just really learned, we don't know. We don't know what Ward is going for, aiming for in his life. We don't know what Fitzsimmons' goals are within the shield, personally, individually, romantically. Melinda May, she didn't want to go into the field. Well, that was resolved within three episodes. And Coulson, no one knows what the fuck is going on with Coulson. We don't know where they want to go as characters, so we don't know what obstructions are in their path, so it's a little bit more difficult to get invested with them than it should be. Yeah, that's exactly right. You nailed it on the head. I'm really smart. Yep. That's it. We we need to know what they want. Well, as long as everything keeps going back to the 1905 Captain America Korean conflict, <laughs> absolutely fine with everything that's happened. Well, that's not accurate at all. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Agents of Shield Cast. Uh, we will be back next week, even though the show is going on hiatus for a week. We will be back. We will have a guest. We will be discussing these first five. Uh, episodes of the show and it'll be a, a short little episode just to talk about where the show is where we want it to go write in and let us know what you thought of uh, this episode and what you think of the podcast you can email us at shieldcast at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com you can also leave us a voicemail through the website or you can call us 
at 336-793-2509. You can subscribe to the show through iTunes and Stitcher. If you like us, please, please, please write us a review. That would really help us out a lot in terms of getting the word out about the show. And if you uh, really like the show and you leave us a good review, you can become an honorary member of the uh, Shieldcast, just like Agent John Pavlik earlier today. Also, if you like us, you can donate by going to filmgeekradio.com and clicking the donate button. Uh, that money goes to help us pay for hosting and, and bandwidth and all of that technical stuff. Uh, you can also use our affiliates page to visit some of our partners, including Amazon. And if you use our site to visit our affiliates, then anything you purchase, we'll get a few pennies off of that. So you can uh, buy something for yourself, buy some Christmas presents or some gifts for Halloween or Thanksgiving, and you can help us out at the same time. Uh, and as always, be sure to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, The Thin Place, and our new show all about the third season of Homeland, The Briefing Room. Russell, it has been awesome having you on the show. Where can people find more of your work? I have two podcasts that I'm doing. We've got the Long and Late Movie Show, in which uh, myself and my two co-hosts talk about the new movie releases every week. Please check that out uh, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and then we're on Twitter, twitter.com slash Show. It's a good show. I started a college basketball podcast uh, this past week with members of the uh, Firestarter podcast. Uh, it's called 2.1 Seconds to Madness, and you can find that on <laughs> iTunes. You, you probably can't search for it just yet, but I posted uh, a link on my Twitter. My Twitter is twitter.com slash Film. And I write for Movie Mezzanine along with uh, Andrew, uh, and that's moviemezzanine.com, twitter.com slash moviemezzanine. Agent Bibbs, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm the film channel editor at Crave Online. I'm the head film critic at craveonline.com. I host the B-Movies podcast at craveonline.com with my co-host Whitney Seibold. Uh, this week we got a bonus episode with a 45-minute interview with James Toback, which is really cool, so I hope you check that out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at William Bibiani, B-I-B-B-I-A-N-I, and uh, you can listen to me uh, Friday mornings at 9.45 a.m. on KCRW 980 in Los Angeles. You recently published a feature on Crave Online about the uh, the 50 scariest movies? Uh, 50 scariest horror movies, and that was a collaboration with all of our writers uh, at uh, Crave Online. We all voted. That was actually kind of interesting because there's a lot of really, really great movies that just weren't deemed terribly scary. Uh, so, like, Jaws cracked the top 50, but it's in the 40s. Whereas, like, the top 10 is generally way more skeevy and, and fucked up. So, uh, it was interesting exercise. And it was only horror movies, so you couldn't include things like Epic Movie or, or any of those films like yes that. not not like conceptually they're terrifying they had to actually be intentionally be terrifying but yes it's very cute you're hired <laughs> uh agent rod morrow where can people find you online uh you can go to the blackoutist.com and find me there um you can also check out uh my twitter uh Rodimus prime or if you want to see me talk about tv shows and movies as i watch them uh at rod live tweets and uh this week i think i have to watch uh Boardwalk. I need to watch Arrow, and I still need to watch Eastbound and Sons of Anarchy. So it's going to be a pretty crowded end of the week and, of course, Scandal on Thursdays. Uh, you can find my film and TV criticism at moviemezzanine.com and patheos.com. Uh, you can also find me co-hosting a few other podcasts on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix and The Briefing Room every week. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at writerandrew, and I hope you do so so that we can continue talking about Marvel's Agents of Shield. Wrapping up for this episode, Agents Disassemble.
This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!